is Michael Malden. My wife, Meredith, was the blonde that was up here. And uh, we're just glad to be here with you guys. It's a real honor to be in the midst of a community that's experiencing a move of the Spirit. And so, yeah, thank you for having us. And uh, I got a word for you guys. Okay. Some of this has been brewing in my heart for this community. You know, you guys have this theme of the season for your conference, which is unstoppable, and then y'all have just kept going, like nine days in a row. And uh, you know Caleb planned that. <laughs> He's conspiring with God up there, you know, and he hears the word, so he, you know, it's unstoppable. But, but um, my, uh, one of my wife and I's words for this year was uh, advance. And so we've been, I've been looking into the scriptures a lot of, you know, how, what's God's strategy for advancing and what is the posture of us as believers in seasons of advancement. And I like your word better because advancing just means moving forward and your word means moving forward but not stopping, you know. It's a little bit more powerful, so I'm going to adopt your word. Um, but I've got this word brewing in me for you, so let me pray so that it comes out clearly because i got a lot, all right. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this house. Thank you for the movement of your spirit amongst your people, how you come to revive us, you come to awaken us and quicken us to who we are in you. You come to quicken us to what we're called to and, and how we get there. You give us your strategies for advancement, how to move in a radical love, forsaking ourselves and our past behind as we move forward into all the promises that you have for us, taking us from glory to glory and strength to strength, leading us into a triumphant, triumphal procession, destroying the works of the enemy as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was looking at God's strategies uh, for advancement, and I started looking at from the beginning, and, and I noticed how when God is telling his people to advance, it's always into enemy territory. And, you know, because if like, if you're, if you're, you know, you're at home, <laughs> never mind, let me see, <laughs> let me regroup, regroup my thoughts. Um, I just feel I'm getting kind of short-circuited here for a second, maybe the Lord wants to share something else. There's a lot of fear and intimidation being released into our nation right now. You know, I think it's around the world. Uh, there's this voice that's really loud right now. It's causing people to shut down, to hide, to retreat. It's a massive Goliath right now. And Goliath intimidated an entire nation caused an entire nation to shrink back, unable to move forward. But yet God raised up this little shepherd boy, a little shepherd boy who was an outcast, been rejected by his family, been given the lowliest position in society. God said, that's, that's my chosen one. That's the one I want to use to silence the voice of fear, to silence the voice of intimidation, 
to give an entire nation courage to move forward so that they are unstoppable. And if God says this body, that he's releasing a word that you're unstoppable, that means that fear is going to try to come against you, and that God's going to give you a strategy to silence that voice of fear. Think about God's strategy for advancing. Think about it from the beginning, Adam and Eve. He puts them into the earth, in the garden, to cultivate the earth. But yet the serpent was already there. I don't know if I put my kids in a garden with a snake. Or maybe I should. Maybe, maybe that there's something there that's going to cause them to rise up into the fullness of their destiny. Maybe they couldn't be who they were truly created to be without the opposition of the serpent. What about when God wanted to send a deliverer to the earth in Moses for his people? He decides to send Moses to deliver in a time when they're murdering all the babies. Probably fear is rampant, right? God says, now's the time. Let's send in the deliverer in the form of a baby when they're killing all the babies. And once he's here, let's tell his mom, let's put him in a basket, let's send him down the river. And let's have... The heart of Antichrist, Pharaoh, raised up to deliver in his own household. Who thinks that way? I don't parent my kids that way. I got to try to shield them, protect them, you know? God's like, no, 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 Right into enemy's camp. I'll never see him coming that way. What about Joshua and Caleb? It's time to go into the promised land. God's like, man, guys, people of God, I got these promises for you. You're going to be unstoppable. I'm with you. I'm going to go before you. Be strong and courageous. I got you. Check out. There's your promised land. Don't you see those giants, God? <laughs> there's, there's giants there. <laughs> Don't you see those giants? He's like, what do you mean? It's a land filled with milk and honey. Oh, but, no, but there's giants there. So when the enemy's trying to release this intimidation, these giants in your land, maybe there's promises that God has right there for us in the midst of it that he's trying, that the enemy's trying to keep us from. What if we're supposed to be on the, on the cusp of a, of a, a worldwide, worldwide revival? But the enemy's going, stay at home. Don't leave your house. Don't go anywhere. But God's like, now's the time to go. Think about it. Just check it. Once it was time for them to cross over into the promised land, this is when God says, now's the time to do it. He says, when the river's overflowing its banks, now's the time to cross it. There was no bridge. They got like a million people. The river's overflowing the banks. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to go. What about Gideon? God's like, your army's too big, Gideon. Just 300 is all you need. You're going to go right into the heart of the enemy's camp. Swords, guns, nah. Candlesticks and vases. (laughs) 
right into the enemy's camp. It's my strategy. You think that they weren't scared out of their minds? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. God has a strategy in the midst of the face of fear. Jehoshaphat. They're surrounded by their enemies. Enemies are just coming at them. Jehoshaphat's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do, so he calls a fast and seeks the Lord. That's, a, that's the best thing you should do when you don't know what to do. Seek the Lord. The word of the Lord comes, and he says, all right, send Judah out first into battle. It's like, man, the band. Could you imagine the band? It's like, you know, they're going first into battle. They're playing their little songs, you know. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. They're playing the thank you song, going right at the enemy. It's like, think about Braveheart. They're over there. They got their bow and arrow swords, and like you're singing a thank you song, walking right at them. Think that those guys needed courage to obey the word of the Lord? But that act of faith, in the face of all that fear, rips the heavens open, and God begins to move. The people of faith don't respond to the voice of fear. That's the voice of a stranger. David and Goliath. It's a little shepherd boy. One stone. What about Jesus with his disciples? All right, guys. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to send you out as lambs amongst wolves. What? Don't you mean the other way around, Jesus? Like wolves amongst lambs? No, 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 no. Lambs amongst wolves. That way they know that I'm with you. Because you can't do it on your own. You need to take courage and know that I'm with you. Because the same thing he told Joshua and Caleb is what he's telling you. If he's telling you to advance, it means he's going before you. And if he's going before you, you can take courage. Because God is going to be able to dispossess your enemies. So in light of all that, in light of the, the voice of fear, I want to talk to you guys today about a story that you guys have all heard a thousand times. Uh, but I want you to look at it with, through prophetic eyes. Meaning, how does this story relate to you in your life and your situation right now? In a season when God is saying that you're unstoppable, how do we deal with the voices that try to come and stop us? All right, and it's the story of David and Goliath. If you'll turn to 1 Samuel 17. We're just going to start at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damim. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Check it out. So prophetically, I want us to look at this whole scenario. So the Philistines are coming into the people of God's territory. They're coming into the land of Judah. All right? Judah means what? Praise, right? The enemy's coming into the place of their praise. And where does he come? He comes to between Soko and Azekah. 
Soko means hedge, and Azekah means broken down. So the enemy comes to find a place where there's a, there's a break in your hedge. There's a chink in your armor. There's a sin struggle. There's unforgiveness. There's bitterness. There's insecurity. There's fear. Whatever it is, he's looking to find that thing in your life, and he wants to come in and step into that place of your praise and begin to magnify himself over and above the knowledge of God in your life. Because Judah, your praise is your greatest weapon. It's how we magnify the Lord. Why do we need to magnify something? Why do you need to take a magnifying glass to anything? Because you can't see it right. You can't see it. So the enemy likes to come into your life, into certain situations, and get real loud. Real loud about this. And it magnifies the problem to where the problem is so big, nobody's leaving their houses. And then where's God? Like, where's God in this scenario? I love the boldness of Caleb and, uh, Caleb and Kirsten. They're going on a cruise. Like, God's with us. How many people would like, I know most people are like, I'm not going on a cruise right now. Like, we're going on a cruise. At least the best time to go on a cruise, everybody's staying at home. You got the cruise to yourself. But we need to magnify the Lord. Psalm, uh, Psalm 34. Go there with me real quick. Because when your problem is so big, you can't see God, we got to flip the script. David. David understood this. I mean, David dealt with betrayal. His mentor tried to kill him. His sons tried to kill him. He's hiding in caves. He saw more bloodshed than any of us would see in our life. The temptation, his enemies surrounded him. The temptations for fear were pervasive his entire life. So how does he deal with it? How, how did he maintain his heart after God and, and maintain a posture of faith? Psalm 34, I'm going to start at verse 1, actually. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be put to shame. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together and he'll deliver you from all your fears. So we magnify him through thanks and praise. We begin to declare how wonderful and how marvelous he is. That's what we are doing up here, right? Singing these songs, magnifying the Lord. And all of a sudden, you, your mind gets set up above the problem, and then he gives you strategy on how to deal with the problem. We all deal with problems, right? It's just how we deal with it. Are we going to listen to the voice of the problem? Because it says the Philistines came into this place. The word Philistine literally means stranger, Right? Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and a voice of a stranger they won't listen to. The voice of a stranger sounds like intimidation. It sounds like fear. It sounds like insecurity. It sounds like a bully. And it causes you to shrink and retreat, diminish your glory. Whereas the voice of God, it comes to bring life and peace and courage 
goodness straightens your back, makes you look at the enemy like, what, this uncircumcised Philistine? What? Don't you know, don't you know who my God is? Don't you know who my God is? But the enemy comes in, into your territory, and he begins to get loud. Look how loud he gets. Check this out. Look, let's go to verse, start at verse 4. Or 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. Sorry. I was, I was in Psalms. I'm going to try to do this in a, in a British accent because it's going to sound more dramatic. Because when the enemy comes, he comes dramatic. Oh, so get this. So my son's five years old. And I was talking about, like, the voice of the enemy. It's like a little, little yappy dog that's just, you know. And I was like, but the voice of the Lord, he comes with this still, small voice. And he goes, oh, I get it. And I was like, you do? What do you mean? He goes, God, he whispers to us. Because if he was real loud, everybody would hear what he's saying to you. And I was like, oh, that's so good. Dang. My little man giving me Revy. <laughs> and there came out from the camp of the Philistines. It's not quite a British accent, but it's, it's like uh, Charleston Heston, right? A champion named Goliath of Gath, whose weight was six, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs. And a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are just not, ser are you not just servants of Saul? And so look how the enemy just magnifies himself. Just magnifies himself like crazy. And then he comes at their identity. He's like, and aren't you just servants of Saul? Who are you? Who are you? Are you a child of God? Or are you just, you're just a normal person. Or you're just a, you're not even from America. You're just a whatever, you're an immigrant. Or what's, what's the voice? What's he say, what does he say to you? Or you're just a white person. White people are out of style these days. What's the voice of intimidation? How does the enemy come at your identity? Who are you? Who are you as a child of God? Your identity is connected to your pain or your praise. You could get wounded or betrayed. You could develop your identity out of that thing. I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I have mistakes. I'm a failure. Whatever. Or you begin to praise God. You set your mind on the things that are above, and it says where Christ is seated, because it says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you appear with him in glory. So in your praise, 
You begin to behold him. Your identity gets revealed. That's why it's so important to, to understand this dynamic of praise and magnifying the Lord because your identity comes within, it's intrinsic within that. So he comes and hits at their identity. Saul's the leader at the time, right? Saul, it says that he's head and shoulders above the entire nation of Israel. He should be the one in boldness going down there taking Goliath, but he's intimidated. He's in fear. He doesn't know who he is. Let's look at Saul real quick. I want to look at, briefly look at his identity. In 1 Samuel 10, Samuel's anointing him to be the king of Israel. The people were choosing, instead of God, they wanted a man to rule over them, right? And so they, Samuel anoints him, and he says, this is going to be the sign to you that this will come to pass. He goes, I'm going to lead you right in front of the Philistine garrison, right in front of the, armies, right in front of the enemy's army. He says, you're going to see these prophets coming down. They're going to be playing music. They're going to be worshiping with lyres and harps, singing psalms, whatever. And it says that then, when you see them, the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. You're going to prophesy and be transformed into another man. I believe this was prophetic for Saul. God was trying to give Saul courage. Right in front of his enemies, he was transformed into another man. Prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord. Right? Right after that, Saul, Samuel calls the entire nation together. Because he wants to, to display Saul before them and said, here's your king. Right after he'd been transformed into another man. Go to 1 Samuel 10. Uh, let's see. Verse 22. 1 Samuel 10, 22. So get this. So Saul is being brought onto the stage like the stage of his life, like one of the most seminal moments of his entire life to be anointed king as Israel, presented before the people. And so, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he's hidden himself among the baggage. So the most seminal moment of his life where he's supposed to step forward in spite of the face of fear, whatever it is, he's over in the corner, the biggest man in Israel. He's hiding in the baggage. He's hiding in his past. He's hiding in the things that he's been carrying with him his entire life. It says that he saw himself as small. He didn't see himself rightly. Even though he had just been transformed into another man, he's hiding in his past. He can't get past this thing that he's carrying with him. This luggage, this baggage, he's just carrying it and he hides and he finds it to be a safe place for him. What are the things that we hide behind that we don't show up fully present in faith? We hide behind these insecurities, these fears, these things that have happened to us in the past. And they're real things. There's abuse, there's abandonment. Failures. being unwanted, unloved, being betrayed, whatever the thing is, man, we carry these things, and they're real. They're real things. They're real. But they'll cause you 
you carry them in the seminal moments of your life that'll cause you to retreat and shrink back. And God wants you to be unstoppable. These things that we're carrying, we're not meant to carry. You are not designed to carry betrayal and unforgiveness, cynicism, self-hatred, bitterness, resentment. You're not meant to carry it. It's not for you to carry. Let's look at how David steps onto the scene. Because David's a man after God's heart. All right, 1 Samuel 17. Let's go back there. Right before I get in, just real quick. So David, just so you understand David's identity, a little bit of his identity, he's, he's one of eight brothers. He's number seven in the line of eight. When Samuel's coming to anoint another king, he goes to David's father, Jesse. He says, bring your sons out. One of your sons is going to be king of Israel. And Samuel looks at the first son. He's like, man, look at this guy. He's handsome. He's tall. This must be him. And the Lord said, nah, uh Don't look at his outward appearance. God doesn't look at man's outward appearance. He looks at the heart. I've rejected that guy. Pretty intense. Then he goes to the other seven, other six. Nope, none of them. David's father doesn't even bring David to the appointment. He's leaving him out in the fields amongst the sheep. Why? Psalm 51.5, David says this, in sin I was conceived. In sin I was conceived. Hmm. David was illegitimate. He was an illegitimate son. His father didn't even recognize him as son. Talk about that's some rejection. That's some heavy stuff to carry your whole life, right? That's heavy baggage. Your dad doesn't even recognize you in front of this, in this moment. But yet God's like, no, that's mine. You seen his heart? That's my son. That's the one I chose. I've seen what he's been through. I've seen the way, the way that he takes care of the sheep, the lowliest of animals, he, the way he defends them from lions and bears because he can identify with the lowly. I see his heart. That's the one I want. And so God chooses David. But he's not fully stepped into it yet. Because he needs this Goliath to fully step into his identity. Oh, there's, there's, no, there's no David without Goliath. What's your Goliath? What's your Goliath? What if your identity is, is, is attached to the destiny or the, the trial that's before you to overcome? What if we look at our trials and tribulations as different, in different ways? As the stepping stones into the more the fullness of our identity. That's what they're there for. That's why, this, that's why God left the serpent in the garden. Y'all aren't getting it yet. So check it. I had this dream once. And in my dream, I was so tired of the enemy attacking me. And in my dream, I'm like yelling at God, God, why do you allow the devil to attack us? Why do you allow this? He was silent. Behind me, there was all these men arrayed like in Braveheart formation. They go, so we can have victory! Amen. What if that's your destiny? Victory. 
He doesn't want to lead us into failure. And it happens. That's not your destiny, bro. Victory. Overcomers. To be an overcomer, you got to overcome something. The bigger the giant, the harder they fall. The bigger the giant in your life, the bigger the destiny and call on your life. If you got big giants, you got a big call. That's all there is to it. One little stone. Bam. Drop that sucker. Put it right in the head. Because it's trying to release its mindset to you so you think like it. Ah. We're not listening to that voice. No. So David steps onto the scene. His father, David and Goliath, the whole scenario. David's coming up. His father tells him, go meet your brothers. Bring, bring bread and cheese. Just go serve them. Right? David's rushing in. He comes in. Let's start at 1 Samuel 17, verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning, left his sheep with a keeper, took provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to battle out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left, that word things is actually bags, in charge of the keeper of the baggage. And he ran into the ranks to greet his brothers. He left his bags with the keeper of the baggage. He could, have hidden it. he could have hidden behind his baggage like Saul and been timid, but he's like, ah, bam, the keeper. Who's the keeper of our baggage? Jesus. Jesus is the keeper of your baggage. He meant took it all on the cross. Every last sin, shame, guilt, condemnation, your infirmities, past, present, future, bam. He's the keeper of your baggage. You can't carry it. You're not meant to carry it. You're meant to carry stones to sling at the enemy's head. Not your past, not your insecurities, so that when, when the seminal moments of your life present themselves, it's scary, man. That thing is loud and it's big. It's loud and it's big, and it's able to amplify its sound through the media airwaves. But are we going to choose to listen to the voice a stranger? Philistine means stranger. The voice of a stranger or the voice of the Lord? Come on. What's interesting about this, and I'm going to speak to the bags in a second, how David leaves his bags by the keeper of the baggage. This is very significant in the story. And immediately he runs to greet his brothers. And, the, and, he, and he begins to inquire, what's going on? What's happening here? Why is everybody in fear? What is happening? What is happening to this nation? Why is everybody in such turmoil and fear? Are we not the people of God? Is not God with us? Like, who are we? Who are we, people? Who are you? He begins to ask, like, who are we? And his oldest brother, Eliab, the one who God said he had an issue with his heart. This is what Eliab says to him. Comes to him right away, and he says, he heard uh, David talking, in verse 29, he says, Eliab's eldest brother, when he spoke to the men, when Eli it says, Eliab's anger was kindled against David and says, why have you come down? 
With, with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. So immediately, as David's stepping onto the scene, the accuser of the brethren comes right through the brethren. As he's needing the voice of encouragement, like your brothers, the voice of your brothers would be like, bro, let's do this thing. This is time. This is what you're made for. Versus the voice of a stranger coming through his brethren goes, I see your heart. You got selfish ambition in your heart. It's not, this is not for you. It's not your, what are you doing here? Go tend the sheep. But what, so, like, how many of us would that just set us, set us off the rails? When people come at us, that sets us off. We're like, man... Don't, what are they doing to me? Why, why are you talking to me that way? Whatever the thing is, we start to spin in it. And we start to spin out of control and meditate on that thing. We begin to meditate on what they've said, and we blow that thing out of proportion, and we begin to magnify that. Not David. What does David do? David said, what have I done now? Because obviously he's been accused of doing a lot his whole life. He's been accused his whole life. Was it not but a word? And so it says he turned away from him towards another. And he began to speak the same things to other people. And let me tell you what I'm called to do. Oh, you think that's foolish? You think I'm, uh, let me tell you what I'm called to do. What do you think about this? He just, because he let his baggage aside. He put his bags down. He let it go. He's able to let it go so he could step into the forefront of what God was calling him to. And so Saul begins to get wind of this kid's courage because everybody else is in fear. And David begins to tell him the testimonies of how in private he's had these private battles of defending his sheep with lions and bears. Barehanded, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He understands the enemy's identity. He's not this, he doesn't ever call, he doesn't say you're this champion, this giant. This, it says this uncircumcised Philistine. This, this virus? What? Come on. God, do you not know that we are the armies of the living God? Like if God's with us, who can be against us? That's how David sees it. So he steps out on the battlefield, runs right at Goliath because he'd left his bags go. If you carry in your bags, it's real hard to run at your enemy. It's real hard to run into the battlefield carrying that stuff. Because you start to get timid, start to get fearful. And he's like, boom, he just goes in hits him right in the head, drops him, slices his head off with his own sword. And then all of a sudden, all that fear that was in his camp gets transferred over into the Philistines' camp. They're terrified. They begin to run. Courage hits the, hits, hits the Israeli, Israeli camp, and they start rising up with this triumphant shout. And they begin to chase their enemies. So there's giants that you're called to fell in this season that's going to encourage and give strength to the body around you. Like, I'm literally have this weird jealousy in me for the body of Christ. For everybody in the room to be fully on, like, level 10, doing what they're called to do, just destroying the works of the devil, going for it, because then I get strength off what God's doing through your life. I do it, and I get to see an aspect of his character and nature displayed in your version of God that I haven't seen yet. And I love to see it. I love to see the people of God doing what they're called to do, man. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So, so here's the deal. Can I get the band to come up? We're going to let go of some baggage this morning. All right? We're going to let it go today. Because here's the thing. It says, 
When the men of Israel and Judah, they rose with a shout and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Gath means the valleys. They pursued them to the low place and the gates of Ekron means plucked up by the roots. They pursued their enemy back to whatever this thing that had been taunting them their entire lives or this entire season and they got this thing up by the roots so it could no longer possess this place of praise in their life again. All the way to the roots. One of the, uh, the biggest areas I see in the body of Christ, and I can even speak to this personally, uh, where the enemy can come with a break in our hedge uh, or the baggage that we carry, so to speak, is, is gonna be in the area of unforgiveness and how it leads to bitterness. And um, like much of my life, I was an angry kid. Then I went to military school and learned how to fight and it multiplied my anger and taught me how to fight. Bad combination. For a year I went out and I fought every weekend I went out. I ended up getting two aggravated assault with deadly weapon charges and just angry, unleashing my anger on anybody that I, I, could, I could find. And um, it was something that just had, had been with me most of my life. And I ended up getting saved and I had got, gotten a new heart, you know. I was a new man. I was tenderhearted. Um, in this season, I was, uh, I, was, I was newly saved, and my father had gotten stuck with, struck with cancer. And I was a caretaker for my dad for about a year and a half. And, you know, he was, uh, he had tongue cancer, metastasized into the lymph nodes in his neck. I mean, this was a Goliath we were facing as a family. Biggest thing we'd ever had to deal with in our life. They told him he had a year to live. And um, he couldn't, because of the radiation, he couldn't swallow. So I had to feed him through a tube in his stomach and he had lost about 40 pounds. He was just becoming emaciated. Battle of our lives, this was Goliath, man. It was, it was real and it was in our camp. It was in our home. And uh, in this one day, I was, uh, I was fixing some medicine for my dad to minister, administer to him through his tube. And he comes up behind me and he just puts his hand on my back, on my shoulder like this. And it was like in this kind, loving way, but I felt rage shoot through my body and I wanted to turn around and punch my dad. That's how I felt. And, I'm, and I got scared because I'm going, I'm jacked up. I was like, here I am. There's a man I'm trying to help heal. All he does was touch me and I'm wanting to, to knock him out. And I was like, man, I got some problems. And I realized in that moment I had anger issues towards my dad. <laughs> Stuff that I had been carrying my entire life. My dad was a hard disciplinarian, you know. I think we've all had those. Those I'll give you something to cry about kind of kind of parenting stuff, you know. Um, and so I I went through this season of trying just to forgive. Like I would go into my closet and I would say, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him, but I just couldn't, I couldn't release, I couldn't find the release, you know? And, and so I go to see a counselor because I was like, I couldn't do this on my own, I needed some help. And, and he goes, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to sit in a chair and I want you to pretend your father's in this chair across from you and I want you to tell him how you feel about, about how he treated you growing up. And, and so I just like, 
unleashed everything that was in my heart in a negative space, colorful language and all. It was just like, let it all go. And he goes, all right, now that you got that out, now go sit in his seat. Go sit in his chair, in his, in his seat, and tell, as if you're him, tell him why he treated you the way he treated you. And immediately I just broke and began to weep because I started getting visions of my dad as a kid. He grew up in a trailer park. He never met his dad. He got beat before his mom would go out. She would give him preemptive spankings, like with pans, you know. Like he just got, he just got the tar kicked out of him. And, and I saw in that moment that my dad, I saw him parenting me doing the best that he knew how to do. And like compassion hit my heart for him. And what was interesting in that moment, because I was able to fully forgive and release my dad, I had carried a pain in, in, in my right hamstring. That's where I used to get spanked as a kid. But I thought that I had always had like a sports injury. I was constantly always stretching my leg for 15 years, always stretching this thing. It's like, what is this? In this moment where compassion hits my heart for my dad and I was able to release forgiveness towards him, this thing flies out of my body. Gone. I was carrying baggage physically on my body. You know where it says to forgive? It says if you don't forgive, you'll be handed over to the tormentors. It's a scary scripture, but it's true. There's this tormenting things, I think, that, that we experience that are to push us into the place of forgiveness. Or we could allow them to push us into the place where we hide behind them and they become our identity. I'm just a victim of, of, the, of, of abuse, of betrayal, of whatever. Or no, that's in my life so that I can overcome Maybe it wasn't God's design, but it's here now, so I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to become a victorious in Christ so we can have victory, right? If you're unstoppable, you got to let the things go that stop you so we can fully step up onto the battlefield as the sons and daughters of God. Fearless, full of courage, full of faith wild-eyed, knowing their identity, continually praising like madmen and women, the praise of God on our lips.